We're here this morning on a beautiful autumn day, but I want to take you to a slightly different time. December 2016. You might remember what it felt like. Dark, cold. It seemed like the world had changed inexorably forever. Most of us were in a state of shock, and we were trying to make sense of what our country and the world would look like going forward. And yet there's only so much of that that a person can take. And so on one dreary Saturday evening, I gathered with my husband Jesse and my friends, actually Adam, our choir director, and his partner Ty, and we had a glorious dinner. It happened to be my birthday, so I got to choose the restaurant. It's a little place that is closed now. It's located, it used to be at least, on East 60th between Lex and Park. It's a French restaurant and a really old school one. It opened in 1937. There used to be a hostess who was directly from France, pretty much like all of the staff, who would show you to your table, and she instantly transported you from the mean streets of New York to the City of Lights, Paris. The chefs prepared with great precision and skill classic French dishes. They would bring the food out and prepare it right in front of you, depending on what you ordered. For dessert, we had delicacies like crepe Suzette and floating islands. What a glorious feast it was. What a change from the darkness that we had been living in for the past month. And I want to tell you the name of that restaurant. It's called Le Vaudor which in French means the golden calf. You heard this story just now from the book of Exodus about the golden calf, right? The Israelites choose to give over their golden trinkets, which they have been taken out of Egypt from their home, and they melt them down and they make this idol. It is a golden calf. They worship this idol dancing around it and praising it. Of course, I'm sure you've heard this story many times. And every time I hear it, I hear it as an admonition to us, to God's people, not to worship idols. How dare we? It was only 12 chapters before in the book of Exodus when God gave the, great, the Ten Commandments. And one of them, to be sure, was don't worship idols. Well, if the Israelites took only 12 chapters in that book to break that commandment, how can we, thousands of years later, be expected to follow it? And yet, the burden is still laid upon us. Shame on you if you worship the golden calf. Over time, I've heard a bit more nuance in this story, however. The first time I ever preached on this text was in October of 2008, Maybe you remember that time, too. The financial crisis was still sinking in, and we weren't really sure what was going to happen with the economy. Preachers all across the city, the country, and the world talked about the huge bull down on Wall Street. You know it. It's almost 
too much on the nose, a bull right there in the middle of the world's financial capital, one that we all dance around ourselves. But not a whole lot has changed since 2008, has it? We weathered that crisis and so many others. And yet, there are still so many idols out there, so many temptations to worship. And so I started to hear this story slightly differently, thinking, for instance, about that dinner back in 2016. I'm less interested now in how God wants to punish us for worshiping idols than what it is about our own nature as human beings that draws us to that type of idol worship. To be sure, it's not a good thing. But if we're being honest, every once in a while, we just need a break. And those idols that are out there, they give us the chance to have just a little respite from the difficulties of the world. And to be honest, I'm not sure there's anything too bad about that. Just one little dinner, just one little glimpse of the golden calf. The problem is when you start to dance around it, to praise it, to worship it, to make it the center of everything that you do. Because when that happens, you have allowed yourself to be seduced by distraction. And it's that distraction that becomes your reality. The price of idol worship is your connection to reality. And the only way you can return to reality once you have made those idols the center of your worship is to return to God, just as Moses commanded his people to do centuries ago. Looking back at the text, you can see, once again, if you read it with an analytical eye, how it is that the Israelites got to this place. Put yourself in their position once more. Sure, they definitely received God's grace and a miracle of being delivered out of slavery through the Red Sea into the promised land, but they weren't in that promised land yet. And by this point in the story, it was kind of like December 2016. Something had happened, and yet they had no idea where they were. They were neither in the past nor in the future, and they had no idea where they were going. In the meantime, stuck out in this wilderness, they were deprived of all of the comforts that they had enjoyed in Egypt, as difficult as it was. They were hungry. They were thirsty. They were tired. They no longer had a center. It was an extremely difficult time. And maybe, maybe for just one day, they wanted a break, a party, something fun. Aaron gave them that opportunity. Take all of your gold, melt it down, and let me make a bowl. After all, the idea of a golden calf didn't just come out of nowhere. It's in the archaeological record that the Egyptians worshipped a god that was very similar to a bull. 
And the ancient Israelites would have come into contact with other peoples in the ancient Near East who had some sort of bull worship in their own religions. Actually, oftentimes, they weren't actually worshiping the bulls themselves, but in some figures that have been found by archaeologists, there's a bull that serves as a kind of pedestal for the god to actually stand on. So maybe what the Israelites were doing was creating a little thing, a soapbox, for their own god who had delivered them out of Egypt to stand on and to, li- to deliver them into the next phase of their common life. Regardless, I read what they did as a reaction to extreme difficulty, a little bit of a break from the suffering of what they were going through. And don't we all know what that feels like? We as human beings were not built to endure suffering without any break at all. It can become far too difficult. We need just a little bit of respite. The problem comes when that respite is all that we are doing. And I think that what happened to the Israelites all those years ago isn't really all that different to the way that our society is structured today. Wouldn't you agree? Thinking back to the lessons of 2008, as I mentioned, Wall Street operates not that much differently than it did all those years ago, leading us into chaos and suffering. That's because our society is so centrally structured around money. Almost everything that we do, every decision that we make, every public debate is about money. When you look at what's happening in Washington today, think about the thing that actually precipitated the political crisis in the House of Representatives. It was a fight over money, over the continuing resolution for the federal budget. But there are so many other distractions out there. Our politics is less a politics than a show, a drama, something to turn on the TV and learn what salacious thing happened today. It's not a way for us as a people to live together and to seek compromise, so much as an attention grab by the people who are on stage. If you go even further, you can see distraction pretty much everywhere in what we do, right down to our own secular rituals. I always chuckle on Super Bowl Sunday looking at the halftime show, which I'm going to be honest is the only part that I actually watch. It's a shared secular liturgy that we all watch and know something about, dancing around this game. Of course, it's easy to talk about the ways in which we distract ourselves as a people. And we also know about all of the individual distractions that we ourselves grapple with. It's easy for a preacher to stand up here and talk about the evils of smartphones and TikTok culture, all the ways that we hold distraction right in our phone. As a matter of fact, you know, I record all of these sermons, as each preacher does, so that we can post them to our podcast, 
And ever since I started doing that, I have to keep myself from looking down at my phone, which is right here, while I'm trying to deliver God's word to the rest of you. What more apt illustration could there be? But the thing about these distractions is that they're not the problem themselves. The golden calf was not the sin of the Israelites. It was their worship of the golden calf. In a way, we idolize the golden calf and these distractions if we talk about how horrible they are for us and how we need to get rid of them. But we should be wise enough and know enough about human nature to know that once you get rid of one golden calf, it will simply be replaced by something else. Because we need that, we want it. And sometimes we can let it go too far. So what is the solution to this problem then? This constant pressure to be dancing around a golden calf? Well, as God tells Moses, it is always to return to God. God is the base and the center of all reality. And sometimes that reality is a little bit too difficult for us to handle. But it is time to return to that reality when we find ourselves being too distracted. That's a huge part of what being a Christian is. It's why we're here today. You could be doing so many other things this morning, distracting yourself in so many ways. But instead, you've chosen to gather together as God's people to hear words that are at the same time inspiring and a little bit disturbing. To participate in this liturgy, which is both comforting and also a bit uncomfortable. We do it together to return to reality, to set our distractions aside for just a moment, and to try to become people who are ever more comfortable with reality in God's reality. This is one of the reasons that Jesus came into the world. His birth is disturbing. His life is unorthodox and jarring. His crucifixion is something that is difficult to ponder at the easiest. And his resurrection is something that takes at least one lifetime to begin to try to understand. There is nothing about Jesus that is distracting. In fact, his entire existence and our worship of him today is an effort to return to reality. Jesus used his position to focus people's attention on what was actually happening in his world. He turned his attention to the sick, to people in prison, to those on the margins of society. He resisted all temptations of distraction, wealth, power. He is the one who will help lead us back to reality if you ever feel that you need that lifeline. So what are we to do then, we people who are so inclined to worship golden calves? 
Well, there's the simple thing about having a spiritual discipline. That's what discipline is all about. It acknowledges that there is something in our nature that is naturally inclined to idol worship. And it means that day after day we check ourselves and we return to God in prayer, in acts of kindness, in study of scripture, in reaching out to our fellow friends. It means coming to this place week after week in an attempt to leave our idols behind. And it means being good stewards of this place and of all of your spiritual communities, family and friends and workplace, to make sure that those places resist the temptation to worship the many idols that are out there. And when we find ourselves distracted from reality, we can ask God to guide us back to those things that actually make up the world the way it is. Justice, grace, healing, and most of all, love. That's reality. Friends, we don't need idols. It can be fun to dance around them for a bit, and that's okay. But when the dance is over, we can return to our God. Because God has given us everything that we already need. Amen.